Morning. How many of you know who Tom Clancy is? You ever heard of Tom Clancy? Yeah, he's written books like The Hunt for Red October, Some of All Fears, Clear and Present Danger. If you know anything about Tom Clancy, if you've ever read a book of his, you know that they're long. Like brutally long, right? They're the literary equivalent of Dances with Wolves or Titanic, right? Those kind of movies that after they're over you have to shave because they're so long. The interesting thing about Tom Clancy's novels is that they are, on average, 500 to 700 pages in length. Clancy says that you can, uh, you can actually use his books as doorstops or as weapons as well because they're so huge. But there are 500,000 to 750,000 words contained within an average Tom Clancy novel. Now, research indicates that the average person will open his mouth 700 times a day. And in those 700 times, the average person is going to speak, on average, 18,000 words. Those 18,000 words translate to about 54 printed pages. What does that mean? Well, that means that on average, in one year, the average person will fill 66 books of 800 pages, longer than any Tom Clancy novel. We have a lot to say, and some of it is worthwhile, and some of it is worthless. Think about how words strung together can convey a pretty profound message. Mr. Watson, come here. I want you. Those are the first words delivered over a telephone. What hath God wrought? Those are the first words tapped out of Morse code and delivered over a telegraph wire. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Those were Neil Armstrong's words as his left foot was planted on the lunar surface. I could just say JFK, and you probably know which quote I'm going to come up with, right? Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Words are important, they are vital, but they're also volatile. I read one time that Orville Wright was dismayed over the fact that airplanes were used to rain bombs from the sky during World War II. He was distraught that something that he had a hand in inventing could be used for such destruction. However, he also uh, took solace in the fact that air travel opened the doors for a lot of people to go different places. You know, our words are like that. They can do good. They can do harm. They're kind of like bricks. You know, you can use bricks to build a hospital. Or you can throw a brick through a window and cause vandalism. You can use a fire to warm yourself or to cook your food. You can also use it to burn down your house. Your water can quench your thirst, but it also can flood an entire town. Words are like that. It's how you use them that determines whether they are worthless or worthwhile. Something that James talks about in James chapter 3. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body's parts as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one among mankind can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, 
these things should not be this way. One tiny spark, it's like flicking a cigarette out the window, can cause a massive forest fire. One spark is enough to set ablaze a person, a situation. That's how words work. A single sentence can alter a life. I love you. I miss you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. It's a boy. It's cancer. I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. I want a divorce. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Does anybody believe that garbage? Because that's what it is. It's trash. Sticks and stones definitely hurt people. When our words are used in a way that can damage. Listen to me, folks. Words are bullets you can't get back. That three-inch muscle in your mouth has a cage for a reason. And those words, those bullets that you fire, once you fired them, you can't get them back. The damage is already done. So we need to make sure that the safety is always on. Christians should be the most careful talkers in the world. And I think disciples should be characterized by two types of trembling. First and foremost, we need to tremble at the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 66 this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is the footstool for, footstool for my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. So all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But I will look to this one, at one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. We should tremble at the words that God speaks. But we should also tremble at the words we speak. Jesus said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an account for it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every careless word, every single one of them, every careless word, that means spoken, written, typed, whether it comes from your mouth, whether it comes from a pen, or from your keyboard, you will be measured by them. You see, we don't need a bigger vocabulary. We don't need a bigger platform. We don't need a larger audience. What we need is more trembling. We need to tremble at God's Word and allow that trembling to tremble at our own words. And such trembling should cause us to speak more carefully, or maybe not even speak at all. Because we are stewards of of our speech, and we need to regularly remember why God gave us words in the first place. You know who this is? This is the Queen of England, more specifically Queen Elizabeth II. She lives in a, a big mansion. She makes $100 million a year. The citizens of her country pay homage to her. They respect her and her lineage, but she doesn't have any clout. She can't make any decisions. She didn't really do anything. Sorry. You know, she meets with the prime minister once a week, and he gives her an update, but she doesn't get to make any decisions. And I'm afraid that sometimes that's how we as Christians act and react to God. We come here for our religious update every week. We pay homage to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but he didn't really run anything. He didn't really rule our lives. We may say that he does. We may listen to him for advice, but we do our own thing, right? It's kind of a religious update. He's someone that, you know, we keep at the forefront of our minds. 
He didn't really make any decisions for us. He didn't rule over us. He's not Lord of us. I cannot stress this enough. We don't always live as people who have a Lord, and it shows up the most in our speech. Jesus, as Lord of our lives, means that he is Lord of our lips also. I want you to notice what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Two things about this passage that bother me. Number one, It's not written to pagans. You notice that, right? Paul's not writing to the lost. He's not writing to worldly people. He is writing to Christians, people like you and me. He's writing to us. The second thing that bothers me about this is I find myself in it. I see all too much of myself in this. Yeah, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to be above these kind of things. I'm supposed to have mastery over my vocabulary. Somebody pull out in front of me, not so much. I find it way too easy to not let the Lord rule over my speech. But Paul's words here are a charter for the dinner table, for the classroom, for the smartphone, for the office, for the gym, for church, anywhere we open our mouths. And here's the two-word summary for all that Paul is saying here. Give grace. Use your mouth to give grace. Paul speaks at length about grace in his letter to the Ephesians. To the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of His grace. Now Paul says, give that to other people. You have received grace, now give grace to other people. And one way that you can do that is flavoring your words with grace. Letting your speech be seasoned with grace. Because we are not just objects of God's grace. We are agents of God's grace as well. Notice verse 7 of Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Give the grace that's been given to you. How? One profound way to do that is just by speaking words of grace. Maybe the best thing to do sometimes is keep your mouth closed. But if you do open it, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That little word, but, there is important. In fact, anytime you see little words throughout Scripture like and, but, if, must, you probably should pay attention because something profound is going to follow those words usually. And this little but here means a lot. So circle it, underline it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. Paul uses this little word here to make a distinction between words that come from lips that have the Lord over them and words that do not. But it goes even deeper than the tongue because if you go past your tongue and down your throat, you're eventually going to get to the heart, right? Maybe not directly, but the heart is in that area. 
And every time you open your mouth, you let people look into your heart. That's where the words originate. It's not just about what comes out of your mouth. It's what comes out of the heart. The but that I told you to circle or highlight is the difference that a transformed heart makes. So if you want to watch your words, if you want to transform your speech, you don't start with your lips. You start with your heart. You know, your heart is not better than your life. It's actually worse, usually. The problem with our tongues is not our tongues. You are what you speak. Words are a revelation of who you are. When you open your mouth, you give people a look into what's in your heart. And therefore, the tongue is a manifestation of the heart's condition. And Jesus says that our words will be the basis for our judgment, which is scary to me. Because I don't know about you, but I've, I've said enough unwholesome words to fill many Tom Clancy novels. Not like I cuss like a sailor, but I find myself constantly having to watch my words and my language when I talk about others, when I talk about so many different things, when I'm put in situations where, you know, it's easy to lose your temper or easy to get frustrated, right? And we've all been in those situations, but Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. A sad consequence of our unwholesome talk is that we grieve the person that lives within us. You have a person inside you. You know, you can't, you can't grieve an acquaintance. You, you can't grieve a, a, a casual uh, uh, person that you just meet here and there. You can only grieve someone you're close to. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He also lives in that brother or sister that you gossiped about, that you slandered, that you blew up at. The Spirit weeps because of our thoughtless words. And that is why this letter is a letter to the Oldham Lane Church of Christ. Not just to the church in in Ephesus. May we never grieve the spirit that is alive and well in our members. May we never tolerate or encourage a thoughtless attitude in the way that we speak to and about one another. Because every time I speak carelessly, I hurt at least three people. I hurt myself, I hurt the person that I'm talking about, and I hurt the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, get rid of all bitterness and and clamor and wrath and anger and slander along with all malice. It has no place in the church. It has no place among spirit-led, spirit-filled individuals. Let God be in your gums. Let the Lord be over your lips. Let the Spirit rule over your speech. And don't just focus on the putting away part. Don't just focus on being quiet. Don't just focus on, you know, cleaning up your speech a little bit. Focus on the heart. Focus on where your speech originates. After Paul says to stop the trash talking, he says that we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving. But then notice what else he says as he continues his admonition, this time in chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Therefore is another important word in scripture. Anytime you see that word, it means for this reason. And what follows is going to be important. So Paul says, therefore, for this reason, quit the malignant talk. Quit trash talking and imitate God by walking in love. Someone died for you. Someone died for this church. And you have the audacity to speak out against someone who was blood-bought. You have the audacity to speak about one of God's blood-bought children. How dare you, right? If you want to go to heaven, quit speaking hellish words. That's the message. Here's what I want all of us to do this morning. I want us to declare war 
on our mouths. How about we all decide today that we're not going to allow our tongue to go unchecked. But instead, we're going to use our mouths for the purpose for which they were originally intended, which is to give grace. Now, I do want to say that speaking words of grace is not just about being tender. Sometimes you have to be tough. It's tender and it's toughness. Tenderness, toughness. You see, to speak with grace doesn't mean that you're always pouring syrup in somebody's ears doesn't mean that you're always trying to make them feel good. Sometimes you're speaking words of grace to make them good, to inspire them to be good. But it all depends on the heart and where those words originate. Gracious words are meant to make one actually good, which means that gracious words will be tough to say at times. You know, Paul had a lot of good things to say, but he also was brutally honest with those he was ministering to. Jesus had a lot of tender things to say to people. But he was also brutally honest about what it meant to be a disciple. So it's tenderness and toughness. Giving grace with our speech might mean that we have to broach conversations that make us feel like running away, but we cannot afford to avoid the truth at the expense of being, you know, quote-unquote tolerant or politically correct. You see, gracious words are not capricious. It's not like we're trying to balance out our tough words with our tender words or vice versa. Our speech should fit the occasion. So gracious words are specific. They are tailored. They are words that match this situation, but not that one necessarily. It's this, not that. Our words must be filtered. And we shouldn't leave it up to the one who is listening to do the filtering. We say, well, they know what I mean. Maybe they don't. It's not their job to filter your words. It's your job to filter your words before you actually say them. The onus is on you, not them. Words worth speaking come from a heart that is emotionally invested and uses wise discernment. It's recognizing that you have grace to give, so give it, right? There's this app called Grammarly. Any of you use Grammarly? Some of our younger folks may have. So Grammarly is this app that you can apply to what you're writing, whether it's a research paper or uh, even Facebook posts. You can use Grammarly for that. Anything that you're writing, and Grammarly looks at sentence punctuation, you know, structure, all those kind of things. But there's this, there's this feature in Grammarly called tone detection. And through the use of emojis, some of you, I just went way over your head, but through the use of emojis, which are those little smiley faces, sad faces, whatever, through the use of these emojis, Grammarly will tell you if you're being, you know, too offensive, too abrasive. It will tell you your tone, if you're being kind, if you're being tender, all those kind of things. And people who use the Grammarly app often say, I I didn't realize how I was coming across. It didn't occur to me how I was coming across until they used the app, which maybe tells us that we need to pay more attention and invest more into how we say things instead of just blurting them out, right? Instead of just getting locked in to what we want to say, maybe pay better attention to how we say it. You know, we live in an age of unceasing talk. Never in human history has the noise of communication been so constant. Even when we are quiet, We get dings from our emails and texts. There is so much talking going on around us. The advent of social media 
has given everyone a platform to publicly spew any kind of opinion, uh, social, economical, theological, political. doesn't even matter if you really know what you're talking about. You can still say it. Everyone gets a platform, even if we know nothing about the subject. This has led to many keyboard warriors spreading nonsense, some of it lies, some of it gossip, some of it slander, some of it malice, but all of it unchristian. And through all of it, you can hear the words of James echoing in the background. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Listen up, clam up, and calm down. There was a private who wanted to uh, attend a friend's wedding, but he had to get permission from his commanding officer. And so he goes to the sergeant and he says, you know, sir, I'd like to attend my friend's wedding. Would that be okay? And the sergeant looked at the schedule and said, yes, private, that will be fine. Just be back by 1,900 hours. And the private started shifting a little bit uncomfortably. And he said, sir, I don't think you understand. I'm actually in the wedding, so I don't think that I can get back by 1,900 hours. And the sergeant just looked at him, pushed his glasses up his nose, and he said, no, private, I don't think you understand. You're in the Army. And we decide what works and what doesn't. And I think that's good advice for us as Christians. God decides what works and what doesn't. He is the authority. We can have an opinion, but we don't get a vote. We can think certain things should be a certain way, but ultimately there is a standard. And when we go to the standard, we assume we're wrong, right, if we don't agree? Because God's always right. The Father knows best. And so we allow Him to be in control, and we let Him rule over our lives. He determines what is good. So, when it comes to our speech, we give him unconditional authority, right? We let him rule over our lips. We allow our words to be ruled and reigned by the Lord who created our mouths. Here's the deal, folks. Both God and Satan is surfing on your saliva. You just have to determine which one gets to be Lord. Which one gets to be Lord over your lips? Now, if we can help you this morning, if you're struggling, if you need prayers for this church family, whether it be prayers for the words you speak, or maybe it's something else. Maybe you're ready to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and put him on in baptism. Certainly, we want to take care of that as well. We're so glad you're here. So glad that you've joined us this morning. If we can help you in some way, let us know while we stand and as we sing.